So what do you want? You want to do storage? What do you want to? Do? Yeah, what, what would you rather? Do? Whatever you guys want to talk about. Okay. I am an open book. Yeah. Um, you think twenty minutes long or so. So we'll talk about anything that long. For well, sure. Look, picking his bro, syndicating money. Like I think we talk self storage and syndicating. What you know? What you do? I yeah, like your maybe your path to get on where you are, and then you talk a little bit about why self storage is off. Then sure. convert over to uh, syndication of money, and uh, the you guys worked your way into. We can do that. Absolutely. Cool, dude. I like the episode where I can just sit here and look pretty. <laughs> I mean, you're off here syndicating money anyway. Yeah, right. yeah, a little bit, yeah. Working your way out of it. And trying to, trying to get rid of some of it and yeah, work on stuff. But the secret is if you, instead of syndicating money, if you have one or two big private lenders, yes, where you could just oh, buy it with debt, then refi it once it's stabilized and you own 100%. Private lender is That's better than that. Yeah, it really Debt over equity. Yes, absolutely. So that's one thing that might. Yeah. Perez, he's has a lot of success with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need to find a, need to find a few whales. His friends get friends with friends. Well, well he's got them locked. Oh, we need to find some of my own. It's out there, man. It's out there. Those self directed IRAs, they're out there. The Dana about just like hey, like, and then out fishing, dude. That guy's a. Is, I hope this makes a bucket. That guy's a bullshitter. <laughs> okay, that guy's a bullshitter. So he could bullshit anybody. But yeah, they'll sign their checks to him. If they call us. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's I'm true. pretty sure that was my entire career before. <laughs> <you're right laughs> <there. laughs> Do you want to get us started? Uh, what's this, number six? Bar. Wait, I think it's more than that. Bar, bar uh, in the investor speakeasy. If this is your first one, we sit here and drink some bourbon. Uh, I try to bring different ones up a week. You'll probably see some beat the lot this week we try to bring on some uh, some different guests, um, different backgrounds in real estate investing. Um, this week we got Paul Beaton just moved down here to the Indy area. Um, he's done a lot of uh, single family, multifamily. Now he's uh, the big self storage guy. Uh, so we're going to delve into that a little bit. And uh, we'll probably start off with, uh, you're from Detroit originally, so you don't no. know. Or you were in Detroit before. It was in Detroit. you started investing. Correctly. Grew up in Lafayette. Outside of Lafayette. So tell me your backstory about how uh, you started investing and uh, your background, how you got to the uh, self-storage. How did it all begin? What got you started here investing? Okay, so living in Georgia, beautiful Peachtree City, Georgia. And I had a big engineering job down there and got one kid. wife is very pregnant with a second. Actually, I was in the delivery room. My wife was in labor our second. I was in the corner, the delivery room, conference call with a Chrysler executive. They were in a stop ship of some vehicle that I don't remember with some issue. I don't remember, but I remember that that was my son's. And so after that conference call, I looked for my wife 
this is not the we she was so at that time i was like we got something has to change and i was a little disillusioned with my job i've been on the project for several years i was like this i gotta do so um we started general motors had been hoarding me since i had left detroit because i lived a long life in detroit in the automotive industry as an engineer General Moza had been courting me for some time. And General Motors, great company, great work-life balance. I had traveled internationally for five years working for General Motors. And so when I moved to Detroit, we had decided need to figure out a way to have passive income so that maybe in the future we could, you know, live around that and get away from the, the day, the day to day. Fairly ambitious workforce. So General Motors asked me to work 10, 20 hours. I will. That's how, that's how we got it started. And uh, so I was one night, I don't know, my phone must have been listening to me because we were figuring out how can we get, you know, find a different path. And I got hooked into home oh of credit. There's a company called Replace Your Mortgage, Replace Your University. And uh, basically, you know, you could pay your home off in five years using a home and a credit. And instead of paying my home off, I started investing in real estate. So bought my first property from Brian Snyder. Turns out Brian Snyder's first property that he had sold. Um, but I, I financed it through my home. Five years here coming in May. And started me on that path. But what's nice is replace your mortgage. I am a bit of a sales guy. so. I had gotten some referrals to replace your mortgage because I brought some referrals and bracing orders that had me come on as like a part-time sales in the evenings. I would take phone calls, sell these memberships to this program. And these people that are looking for rental credit to money elsewhere as well. So a lot of my private lenders came through contacts. I had made through as a salesperson with Replace Your Mortgage. So I bought a couple houses on my own. I'll just was the grind, right? Put it on credit cards or you know, the whole life we had credit, max it out or or whatever, and realize, okay, let's let's see if we can figure out this private lending. And so we I had a few private lenders, self-directed IRAs, down them uh administrator, you know. They were nervous. I was nervous. But after the first or tw- this time, what was this like 2018, 2019, like looking back, it's like those weren't great days, but they were really great days. Right. Because um, interest rates were very low. Housing stock was plentiful. Um, I could buy a house wholesalers for twenty seven thousand rehab it for 60 They're appraised for seventy five or eighty five. You know, it was beautiful. The good old days. The good old days. So I did that quite a bit, and I probably bought more than I could afford, even with private lenders in 2019. I don't regret it at all, looking back, because during the pandemic, those homes doubled in value. So my portfolio, I'm only 50% leveraged on my portfolio because values just skyrocketed. So it was during the pandemic that I had my goal was 42 doors, and each door had to cash flow by 200 to 250 so do the math. That's what I needed to retire when I started out. And I got to about 
22, 24, I had a few duplexes that I'd sold um, and the pandemic. Hit. And this is like March, April timeframe. My wife, short-term rental management staging. And um, we were watching her business evaporate. Like short-term rentals, you get a lot of bookings in the summer, in March. People, especially after Christmas and New Year's, people start thinking about what I'm going to do this summer. Right? March is like every day, ding, ding. Cancellation, cancellation, cancellation. It was like Armageddon. So her business was drying up. And I was freaking out. Are my tenants going to pay their mortgage or their, their rent? Because they didn't really have to. Yeah. Right. I had mortgages on all of it because I had burdens, refinanced them out of private money. Mm-hmm. And I had a few rehabs going at that time, wondering, are the banks even going to refinance me out of those? Um, and so it was at that time that, you know, I heard that whispering back like, this is all of those naysayers that told me, if you get into real estate, you're going to lose your shirt. Don't you remember 2006, 2008? You're going to lose everything if you get into real estate. And I said, this is it. This is my 2008. I'm very, very fortunate, blessed to have invested in Indiana, where the courts were fair. I don't think that they were pro-landlord. I think they were fair. If you were if you didn't try to pay your rent, you didn't try to make a deal, you won. If you negotiated, if you paid something, if you did something, you stayed. And I had people that, you know, they paid for months to get caught up. It was okay with that. And I had some people I had to get but a few, I'm pretty sure, professionals that moved in. And then, like, even the courts gave them more time than I thought they should. So anyway, come 2020, was November 2020. I'm down in Indianapolis for a the investor symposium in November. Stay shout out to Mainstay. And if you're listening, um, thank you for bringing me to Indy and, and opportunity to meet my partner, Margaret. He was in Indy with his wife Marie, looking to invest in real estate themselves. I met them at one of the events there. And, you know, it wasn't until later that, after that, where he and I had kind of, he was looking at mobile homes, other asset classes. Um, I was looking at how can we diversify out of uh, single families? I was looking at maybe apartment complexes because, you know, if one is being evicted, the others pay. Stuff like that. But at that time, everybody was in a multifamily. Everybody was. And it was like super congested rates were super oh it's insane so finding a mom and pop you know multi-family but at that time there was probably 60 percent to percent of self-storage facilities were still owned by mom and i met a nice lady her name's stacy rosetti she is not super like well-known nationally but like she, she's killing it she's got 20 self-storage facilities almost two thousand doors um, runs a mastermind and I, jo- I joined her mastermind ball and started looking for self storage. About that time, Mike and I had chatted. Why don't we just pair up? Cause self storage is a different beast. It, it's a big beast and it, it takes a lot on the acquisition, on the financing. It's a whole different commercial financing is completely different. Um, and then operating them, operating them 
It's not a passive investment. Self-storage is not. Now, for my investors, for my syndication of investors, it's passive. There's a lot of work. It's a business that you're running. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so needed a partner to come in and help. Mike was interested uh, and we got started. So it took us almost a year to close on our first one. But we had a really nice one, 250 units under contract in Davison, Michigan. And there were some title issues and like cross collateralization issues were not disclosed. So anyway, uh, wasted a lot of time on that, but got our first deal done, I think a year later. So it's November 2021. So what was, um, like, so from when you started getting the, the storage to a year later, like what was the reason that so long could have been done quicker? Was it just a, a learning process? Well, it was definitely a learning process. So anytime I, I get into an asset class, you want to figure out how to underwrite it. Yeah. Underwriting self-storage completely different. Underwriting, you know, single families. Um, finding them, right, is a challenge, right? I don't have a, a Randy I could call and say, hey, what do you got in 46222, right? Um, I had to f- figure out how can I find these, you know, it's a different strategy to find them. Um, and then even if I found them, what would I do with it? Um, so I had to figure out how to operate them, right? Um, and operate them efficiently. Did you rely on your mastermind that you were in? Absolutely. Everything that I, I don't know if I'd say everything that I know now, but a lot, probably 70 or 80% of my Almost philosophy. Like every step of the way, you're like, okay, guys, now what? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we were ready to go. You know, I think Mike and I signed on in like February. We we went under contract February of 20, well, it was a 22, it had been 22. I had to have been 22. We signed on to one under contract. It was either 21 or 22. And what was that, it three months after or a year after you? Well, were, you went under, I went on, uh, it was 20, it was in the fall of 20 that I went to the mastermind. And I'm pretty sure it was 21. We went under contract on our first deal. That's amazing. So like three months, three or four months, right? Um, but. We, that, that contract fell through. We dawdled, you know, raising money and getting ready. And, you know, we were ready to close. We had the money lined up. We were ready to close and it just would just fell through. So then we had to start over and yeah. and I were really committed. We buy one. We got to get, get going here. And I ended up finding our first deal up in LaPorte, Indiana, um, literally driving, virtually driving for storage. I said, oh. You just pick Google Maps, turn it on to the south of you, and you just scroll. You just scroll. And you're looking for a self-storage sure. building. They're very, you know, from the satellite view, it's either a chicken, chicken coop or it's, you know, and chicken coops have like the air readers outside, the feeders inside. Um, so I found this on Google. Skip traced it, just called him out of the blue. And he's like, yeah, we're getting ready to retire. He's moving to Texas. I'd love to get rid of this. Do you mind if I? Couple clarifying questions there. One for people who are familiar, what is skip tracing? Okay, skip tracing is how you can find out who own a property, or at least get a better lead on who owns the property. In this particular case, he had it in a trust. Word of the wise: if you name your trust your name trust, it's not very secure because that's how <laughs> I found it. Okay. It was. You know, I don't remember what his name was. George Sanders Trust. Yeah. So you just skip trace George Sanders. Then it gives up his email address, his phone numbers, all this. So luckily, it was his name, his wife's name, Trust. 
You need to come up with something, speakeasy, one, two, three, trust, or something that's more, it would have been almost impossible, right? To, Montana or something. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so anyway, that's, yeah. That's what, yeah gotcha. So that, that makes a lot of sense. There's one other thing that I want to touch on that um, I think is important and a lot of people struggle with. But in today's society, there is so much information for free. On why did you pay for essentially education and camaraderie when you could have gotten it potentially for free on the internet? Okay, for sure. Uh, so because I had already self-taught, I never took any real estate classes when I did single family stuff. I found, you know, simple wholesaling. Um, through the internet, just yeah. Google wholesalers in Indianapolis. I joined every single Facebook group I could find. I was on bigger pockets regularly. I'm listening. I know I'm going to be very popular, but Clayton Morris was, oh boy, one of my, I know, <laughs> I know it's not very popular. I did the thing, but a lot of his underwriting that he taught on his podcast, that's what I use to underwrite my single families, right? Yeah. All self-taught. I agree with you, but my thought process was, Okay, number one, I think this asset class is larger and more complex than underwriting single families. Yeah. And I'm on a time crunch. Like I told my wife, we're going to move to Michigan and we're not going to stay here for more than five years. I'm pivoting away from what I, I self-taught and know into a different asset class that I don't know. I need to find facilities. Mm. I need to get them financed and I need to figure out how to run them fast and I need to grow my of income faster. Because now I'm behind the people. I love that answer. And so, I wasn't trying to put you on the spot. There. Yeah, so essentially, what I'm hoping people hear from this is, yes, you could have gotten this information for free, most likely. But there were two things in particular that weren't. One was speed. And was you couldn't screw it up. Like on a single family home, they're expensive. Don't get me wrong. Not cheap by any means. But there was a little less risk there. You know, we're talking about $100,000 purchase. Mm -hmm. We're talking about self-storage. We're not talking about $100,000. No. I bought my first property from Brian, $27,000. I remember standing in that property, and it's a, pardon my French, a shithole. And I brought my mom with me. <laughs> She's like, what did you buy? To set it up. What did you buy? They're going to be bankrupt. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was, yeah. it was bad. I think my wife said, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. But. Instead of twenty seven thousand, now we're talking about two point seven million, right? Yeah. And you know, if you go, to, if I go to a lender, you almost have to have a heartbeat, especially at that time with interest rates. Yeah. They'll refinance that yeah. for you, right? If you got a heartbeat, two point seven million. There, where's your business plan? You know, you have to see some credibility. Yeah, I want to seek some credibility. You have a history of doing yeah. self storage. Do you know what you're doing? Yeah, you know stuff like that. So I can't. You can learn that. You can fail and learn. I should believe failures are one of the greatest teachers, but I didn't have the time to get, you know, the school hard or the bank account or if no, the bank. And I really, really believe this. I'm, I just bought into day trading, not to change subjects, but I want to learn day trading and I don't have the time to uh, teach myself. It's, you can learn it from the internet. I really believe buying into education is it, it pays dividends. Just something to ask questions. Yeah, bounce ideas. I'm trying to search if somebody's ever asked this question before. Yeah. You may not have. And find roughly sources. Send an email and say, hey, situation. What would you do in this situation? Have you gone through this? Yeah. 
Stacy Rossetti's course, not to give her a pitch, she deserves it. She does a great job, right? She'll teach you, you know, soup to nuts. Joe off the street, I don't know, have any real estate knowledge. If you want to buy a self storage, this is how you do it, all the way to the how to operate it and tips and tricks on how to operate it. She even has the, a facility owner's mastermind where they focus. That's one of the downsides of some of these other things. Like, okay, now I've moved on from the beginnings. I'm operating six cell storage facilities. Like, I need to collaborate it's with other. Level, yeah. It's a next level, right? So, I thought I bought into the lifetime membership. Tip and it pays dividends over and over. Really, it does. Oh, well, great. Man. So, I probably diverted us there a little bit. No, it's all good. But it's all good. <laughs> potentially, last question I've got on the education piece think that there's potentially value in people doing the same thing, even smaller asset classes, like you're day trading in, in homes. You know, yeah. Space, bang, cold sailing, all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially flipping and even like, I learned a lot, school hard knocks on doing the build process, what to do and not to do, you know, what types of countertops, what types of, you know, we, did, we started putting the same LVP in every single place, mm-hmm. right? You'd have commonizing. Commonizing your, your bill of material. And that's one of the things I taught Mike when he first came to India is, you know, you're going to go into, cause I had a few vacant at that time. So you're, I'm going to show you three of my properties. They're all going to look the same. They got the same canvas. They got the same LVP. They got the same agreeable grade. <laughs> and we've got cans of agreeable grade. We've got boxes of, I think it was washed oak dough, you know, and we just rinse, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, you know, simplicity. Who teaches you that? Right. The internet's about, unless you're, in these groups or asking these right questions. So the system and process for Yeah, and learn. Like, yeah, the first paper I put a different LVP in and then cracked and it cracked out. and I ran it and all we had was washed up. You know, what are you going to do? So, yeah, I think, I think buying into masterminds and, and continuously learning and educating yourself, even if you, you've been successful already, it's well worth the money. So Fantastic. So anyway, you know, we went under contract. It fell through. You know, it took some time to find the next property. I believe that we went under contract and closed in November of 21 on our first facility, very small facility. And, you know, we made the mistake here where it had a small commercial space. It was rented by CSX. It still is. I mean, it had one building, like 36 units, but it was on two acres. And so when we did the underwriting on the, on the numbers, we did the underwriting to say, we're going to build out and the numbers don't work until we build. That's a mistake. Um, now any build out we do, it has to cash flow as it sits. And then, yeah, not. And then that, the build out is the cherry on top. But that place we did build out, it's, you know, 80% full. It's doing well, you know. And so then I think it was in 22. We really, I think we bought two or three facilities in 22. And then we bought two more last year, so it makes six. So it's it's been very good, you know, to pivot into, you know, when we first bought that first facility, we bought it for, I think it was 450000 So we had two investors. We brought them together. They were friends. You know, the bank, they did 80% LTV on the purchase and 80% LTV on the build out. It, it was like, this thing, like three and a quarter, three, three and three quarters, three, four, seven, five, or four. Oh, it was unbelievable. <laughs> you know, it's like Mike and I were left three money, right? 
And it was like, it was probably six months after that every, you know, um, the, uh, the interest rates started going nuts. Um, but anyway, so it ended up being a very good deal. But as we went on, we got bigger and bigger. And one of the things we realized didn't come from Stacy, but you know, you realize as you start to buy is that instead of managing, you know, 10 self storage facilities that have, let's say 20 units a piece, it's better to manage one self storage that has 200 yeah. or, you know, greater economies of scale. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we just kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And this last one we bought, uh, I think, I think the, we bought it for 3.7. Wow. Um, like 250 units. It's a huge commercial space to, um, and so, you know, small little one in Northern Indiana, you know, it's almost a nuisance, right? Cause it's so small, hardly get any calls on it. It's mostly full, right? Uh, so, you know, from the build up or from a economies of scale perspective, you know, we're doing our marketing, right? And marketing is a big piece of self storage and you have to be very, very good at it. Um, you know, all of our facilities pay a marketing fee into the company that we hire. Well, if you look at number of units, you know, the ratio of how much the facility brings in versus how much they pay in marketing. As you get bigger and bigger, you're able to pay for some of these more important, you know, fixed costs mm-hmm. to operating efficiently. So that's that's where we're at now. Where we started we started syndicating as we got bigger and bigger. We established a fund. So let's take a second. Yeah. What the heck is syndicate? <laughs> okay, syndication. We basically are offering equity to investors to come in and partner with us. So we're structured in a way that 70% of the equity is owned by investors and 30% is owned by Mike and myself. And sometimes we bring on some additional folks to raise money or whatever as, as general partner. And again, doing the tech as for that. Uh, uh, I'm an investor. I have a million dollars. I need you. Well, I go, what does that pitch there? Well, if you've got a million dollars and you love to answer phone calls, man, go buy a self storage. So it's a great investment. But if you don't you want like, a second job, if you'd you like to have a second job, job, you can get a couple second jobs with a million dollars very easily. Um, but if you want to invest and make a very nice return, and reap the benefits from the tax perspective, you know, you could invest that million dollars and yield 10 to 15% um, with, and basically tax-free for the first couple of years, right? So, um, and not have to never make a yes. single phone call. Um, so that's, that's syndication, right? You are, the, our investors, our partners that have come in on these deals, they are equity owners. They own a piece of, that's a storage facility. Now, when we formed a fund, now the fund owns multiple self-storage facilities. So it's it's even greater diversification mm-hmm. where Muncie, Indiana and Memphis, Tennessee, you're invested partially into both facilities. And those are both cash flows of one's doing well and one's doing You know, they are feeding into your distributions, but you own a fractional amount of both of those facilities. So... No, I think that makes a ton of sense. I was just trying to, to explain the, yeah. the value of being a passive investor. You know, we all have our, our, our 
IRAs that are sitting there that were, were passive investors in, in Apple, Google, all of their company, they get to do the same thing, but get the bit of the growth and the cash flow. Of the Absolutely. Break down a little bit further and see how, how can people use their errors. Because a lot of people just don't, percentages don't have a million dollars sitting around, right? Most of our money's probably in retirement. How can people use IRAs for somebody else in real estate passive? Well, the first step is you need to roll it into a self-directed IRA, either a Roth IRA or, or a traditional IRA. There's a couple of administrators that I would recommend. If you're interested, reach out to me. But don't just go get your own administrator. I've got, I've got an investor right now. He picked an, an administrator that is very, very difficult to deal with. And, you know, whole different story. But there are self-directed administrators where basically they give you checkbook control. So you can wire money into a self-storage investment fund or you can wire the money to the racetrack. And you can invest in resources. Um, you know, it gives you that level of control. There's rules about it where you can't put your money, money's your hands on your money because it triggers a taxable event. So you have to be very careful about that, which I think is why it's, it's not as well known, right? You start messing with that. People don't realize what the, you could tri trigger a taxable event. Um, but we help investors through all. So roll it over into self-directed IRA, even a self-directed IRA. I, as I pay out distributions, I help my investors open up brokerage accounts, invest either in a money market or some kind of a index so that their distributions are at least growing 5% consistently safely. So that when it comes time to invest in the next thing, right, their money has been growing a little bit. And you can do that in a self-directed IRA and you have a lot more control over what it's invested in versus just handing it over Fidelity or Edward Jones or whatever. And then set it and forget it. Um, and we are paying out, you know, 10 to 12% in cash flow, pretty consistent. And, you know, when you think about getting that in the market, right? I mean, I think the S&P averages 8% over the past couple of years or whatever. So, you know, and you're going to pay tax on, especially if, I guess, not your. Depending on what IRA you're in, you may or may not pay tax on it. But uh, you're going to get better returns for real estate type syndication than you, you might get unless you get lots um, So I've got we've got probably 50% of our investors have SEFDRAs, directed IRAs. And, you know, they're. They're getting those distributions on a regular basis dropped right into their IRAs. And like what's really powerful if you have a Roth IRA, which is after tax money goes, but then you can invest in a syndication 10 to 15%. At the end, you don't pay any tax on those returns. You already paid the Because you already paid the taxes. So that's, oh, I don't know if you guys ever heard of the guy that invested in PayPal. He had like a couple hundred thousand in his Roth IRA. Invested all in PayPal at the very beginning, and now he's got a Roth IRA full of billions of dollars. And the government's like, "Well, we want some." You know, it's, it's all tax free. Yeah, so, seal, right? It might be. Yeah, you got a seal. He's he's unpopular for other reasons. <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. But it's a good example of how Main Street can grow a tax free account um, through real estate 
and have really strong returns, they can be tax-free returns. And then, of course, if you hit, if you're investing not from an IRA, you just funds from your account, truly is tax-free wealth, or at least in a couple, three years, you know, depreciations. It's very strong returns for, you know, absolutely. Well, I know there are a lot of people at different stages of their investing career that may, may just be starting. Some of them may be a little bit further down the uh, where they're starting to think about they think about raising themselves. Do you have any advice for people that are looking to start doing within their own network, for their own portfolio? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, what I was always told when talking about raising capital, uh, either debt or, uh, you know, private lending or for capital partners and a syndication, it's kind of like a donut. It's really your sphere of influence. So you start with friends and family. And every, your family will get tired of this, but it is what it is. In every family outing, every family event, every family reunion, um, you're talking about what you're doing in real estate. And you don't necessarily have to say, hey, Randy, you got any money I can borrow? You know, it can be, hey, Randy, some investors, I just did distributions. We paid 10%. Yeah. And Ray's is like, oh, wow. I made 3% of the market. Well, if you're interested, let me know. Um, so that's how this, the conversation starts. It is, this is what I'm doing. And that's why we're right here on this podcast. This is what we're doing. This is what we're going out doing, you know, and being successful. So then once you get past your friends and family group, it kind of goes out to another, you know, extended group. And that's a little bit harder. Um, you know, networking at different events, going to real estate meetups, joining podcasts, uh, stuff like that. And then, you know, once it gets out to the forward, you have to start thinking about, you know, SEC compliance and advertising and stuff like that. I've had a lot of success. It's like you need to be where the investors are at. So, um, like I said earlier, I worked for a company that, you know, they sold a product to a group of people were looking to refinance their home. We're looking to pay their homes a lot more quickly. And oh, by the way, they've got some cash to do it with. And, oh, by the way, they're looking to get a better return than the market. How can we help you do this? And so I was very, very fortunate to have access to a lot of people. Some of them became clients, some of them didn't. Some of them became loaners, some of them didn't. But, you know, it was really, again, just talking about what am I doing? It's not a, hey, do you have any money that you'd like to invest? It's, this is what I'm going, this is what I have going on. This is what I do. And these are the returns that we're seeing, you know, talking about what you're up to, what you're out. I think the more you do that, the more you talk about what you're doing in, in the right groups and the right places where these people, that's, that's where you end up with, you know, lenders coming in. I don't know what the statistic is, but there's like a billion dollars or more of uh, retirement funds that are not even invested. They're sitting in cash in self-directed IRAs or IRAs or Roth IRAs. People don't even know what to do. And it's all out there. It's it's, it's ready for you to come in and help give a better return than sitting. That's such a smart approach that you've said there. And it's already a good job. Um, what you said there that most people don't understand in sales. Most people think it should be coming to you. And, hey, this 
can give you. Where the difference is, what you're saying here is talk about what you're doing and what you're doing for others and then let them come to you. It changes the power dynamic. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I really see it as a partnership. I'm not out begging for, I don't need the bonding. I couldn't do the, the deals that I, without that money, but I don't need it. I'm here to help you. And by helping you, you're going to be helping me. And so it's a win-win scenario. I always am looking for win-win scenario. And oftentimes I've ran into situations where whatever they got going on, it's not a good fit for me, right? I can't give you what you need. Like I had a guy come to me. He said, I need to retire in three years. Look, we're going to hold these cell storage. So that's five years and you retire. It's illiquid. It's an illiquid investment. Now you'll get distributions, but can you live off those distributions? Probably more long-term. It's more long-term, right? So you know, it's great for those 30, 40, maybe 50-year-olds there. If you're 65 and getting ready to retire, you know, by you. Right, exactly. Right. You know, it's probably not a good thing, right? So you know, everybody has their own their own goals, their own situations. And I'm always looking for a win-win. And we really present it as that. There are regulations on how actually advertise some of the stuff to people how you can you can't so can you go into that a little bit further you can't basically go on facebook and go like hey this is beginning for private investors here's your return yeah he, he's not a lawyer you're a lawyer so that, you're a lawyer new cpa nothing correct correct yeah so um, number one anytime that you syndicate where you trade equity for an investment, by definition, that is a security, right? And any security attorney will tell you, encourage anybody that's thinking about doing a syndication or maybe even investing in a syndication to consult an attorney, because I'm not one, but bizarre. Um, there's two exclusions, right? One of them is, I think it's a 506D. The other one is what they call the good deal exclusion, which is it was such a good deal that nobody complained. And so even though it may have not been legal, you know, everybody, it worked for everybody and nobody complained. I don't, I never liked the good deal exclusion. Right? That's a little scary to me. Right. So, you know, Mike and I decided early on, we're not going to take the chances on the good deal exclusion. So our fund that we established was a 506B. What that meant was we could take both unaccredited and accredited investors. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's a little nebulous as well, right? So accredited investors, I think you have to have such a worth. You have to make so much money and over like a, such, such a period of time. And a little bit of it is, um, a little bit of it is like a self certification. I think you can get an official certification from CPA consult your attorney on that. Um, but we wanted to be able to raise from both accredited and non-accredited. So non-accredited is like anybody Joe up the street. Um, if, they, if they say that they got money, they got $25. Right, exactly. So the 506B allows them. I think we were limited to 30 accredited. I think we only raised for 40 total. So some of them were accredited. Um, but as a 506B, because it can go to non-accredited, we were not allowed to do any advertising whatsoever for any reason. 
So we had to be very, very careful. And there's some steps that you have to go through where was like the five touch rule where you are, your acquaintances, how do you establish that you're an acquaintance that but you haven't found them on Facebook or whatever. And, you know, we had to be very careful with our operating mem- or offering memorandums, what language is in there, what were, you know, the, the uh, disclosures and stuff. We worked with SEC attorneys to establish all of that information and any material that we distributed to anybody came through as SEC attorneys. This is why you talk. Absolutely. Right, exactly. So um, 506C, though, is only accredited investors. So anybody that is willing to say that I am a creditor, they can get their CPA to say that they're an accredited investor. You can advertise on Facebook. And I think there's still restrictions. on you know, the SEC attorneys still want to approve your advertising posts and your advertisements. So those are the different um, securities. I don't know. We're getting ready to form another fund. We're really on the fence about whether we're going to do a B, which allows us to bring more credit, or we're going to do a C, which gives us more flexibility on advertising. I'm probably going to do a C because... Again, we're, we're our donut, right? Our inner group, which a lot of those inner group are not correct. Even we've, we've tapped it. No, no, you got out to that group where we really are immediate network and even our immediate, immediate or our network just beyond that. Um, we've really tapped that. So we're to the point where we're outer donut and we to start raising money from a larger audience. And, and so that's, Talking to more accredited investors, that's probably a cement. All right. Well, before we hop off here, I'd love for you to talk. You talked a little bit about the equity side of things. You talk a little bit about the the debt. Uh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, before we got started, you know, we talked about you know you can invest in real estate or get financed in real estate through private lenders. Two different ways, right? You can offer debt, um, and you can offer. And the equity side is the syndication and, and ventures and stuff. So most of my Burr deals um, were, and so basically my private lenders, they've got self-directed IRAs. And let's say they've got 150000 in their self-directed IRA. I'm going to go to Randy, and he's got a house in 46222, and he's selling for so this is what I did. And I'm not going to encourage people to do this because it takes, I think you got to know what you're doing, but I would borrow the full 150 out of the self-directed IRA. I would buy that from, and they'd drop that 150. They just wire it from the self-directed IRA into the title company. The, the title company, I would always use their attorneys, would draw up a promissory note and more. And so like if I was hit by a tractor or disappeared to the Caymans, they still had an interest, a financial interest in the property. They could foreclose on me just like a bank could, and they could take that property. Now, none of my private lenders ever want a property, but it is just a level of security, especially some of my private lenders that just take, I know you're going to do what you need to do with it, and I trust you, but especially starting out with private lenders, if you're doing debt deals, um. Having that promissory note mortgage, that mortgage in the hand is like, this house is mine. If this guy doesn't do the right thing, this house is mine. And, and that gives a lot of confidence to private lenders. And I insisted on that. 
ever did any, even though they said well, this was not necessary. I never did. Um, cause I just think there's a, you guys really want to shout that out. It's huge. Uh, huge. I mean, <laughs> yes. if somebody's throwing money at you and they're not even asking for a process, like that's a free, like, don't you, skip that. Don't skip that. It's something that we do internally, I'm sure, mm-hmm. on all of our deal. So, Brooks has done a couple with, uh, with private money lenders. I do them all the time. Like, yes, I insist on it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not, at some point, it's not even for them anymore. It's for me because I know I've got to play by the rules. Yeah. I, that's right. I'm not bigger than the rules. Um, and so I always insist and that's what it's like 300 bucks, 400 bucks for the attorney to draw it up. Right. Whatever. And it's a little bit of a hassle when you do a refinance if they don't do the, the lien release. But, you know, at the end of the day, I always want to do it right by my investors. And if something happened to me and whoever was going to take over after I'm gone, they wanted, I wanted them to have an interest in the property. Not only that, like if I, if I have a heart attack here tomorrow, it's not a lot. Exactly. Yeah. The family doesn't have to worry about it. It was, it's where it's going. Uh, exactly. Going back to the investor. So anyway, they would wire the 150 in. We bought buy it for 90 plus a few closing costs, right? And then I, the title company, would wire me the pro, the proceeds. So that's another key thing. When I was selling the property or to private lenders, and I was talking to private lenders, it always ran through the title company. And I always told people, don't ever take money from a private lender directly, right? Never, ever, ever. It always goes. That money. It okay. always goes through a private, through a title. Why? 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 Well, there's a lot of different reasons, but um, you know, number one, when you're, you know, like on Facebook, right? These people are, oh, I'm a private lender, blah blah blah. Send me five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, and you know, that's a pre-financing deal, and you know, this and that. There's a lot of those out there, yeah. right? And they don't want to deal with title companies, right? I never, ever paid points or financing fees anywhere else other than through a title right? Don't ever, ever, ever pay a lender for anything. I've even gotten after, there's been some banks that asked me to pay for the appraisal up front before I got to the settlement statement. And I said, hell no, put it on the settlement statement. You know, go ask your aunt. Richie or whatever to pay for the, the, the appraisal, I will pay it through the settlement. So any fees exchanged with a lender of any kind should go through a title company should be on the statement. Otherwise you're getting scammed. Truly you're getting scammed. Do not ever do They're that. getting so darn good. They're getting very good at it. Uh, actually, I, my mom was just telling me with some family members that. Got talked out of some money. It's, it's really, really bad right now. So anyway, and you know, that makes our job harder because, you know, if you're approaching somebody that has, you know, some money and they're wanting to get the 10%. By the way, that's another thing. I would always pay one point. Like that is, you know, and some people would say, well, they'll give it to you with a point. Yeah. What's but the point? A point. So if I borrow a hundred thousand. I'm going to pay them thousand in back to them. So it's, it's kind of almost like a financing fee. It's a lender fee. It's a, it's a thanks for doing business fee. Right. And so I would do 10% interest on it back in the day of uh, uh, 4% interest rates. Right. Every great 
That was a great deal, 10%. Now, you know, I almost feel guilty doing those because I feel like I ought to give them 12 and 2 or something. But um, I did all of my deals were 10% interest only. It was on a balloon. So 12 months balloon. My goal was to be out of it by six to nine months. Um, and I always paid them a point. And I just think that's good business. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, you do the math on it. Um, they're getting 11 and some change. But here's the other thing. Like, they're going to drop that money back into their self-directed IRA checking account, this non-interest bearing. And then it's going to sit for maybe a month or two before Randy comes up with another deal for me. It's a win-win. Like, you're not trying to ever get one up on somebody. Absolutely not. It's a win-win. It's exactly. Exactly. So, again, that's just something that I always did. And I, I could have saved thousands of dollars yeah. by negotiating at one point. But the truth was, like, look at what I have, my portfolio, I own, you know, um, personally. That's one of the benefits of debt is if you find a lender, even if you, if I could find one for the self storage, let's find a self storage that's a million dollars. I've got a lender that will loan me a million dollars on debt. So I don't need to go to a, then I'm going to pay a point, which I don't know, what would that be? Would that be 10,000? Yeah, it'd be 10,000. Anyway, then when I go to a, a stabilize the self storage after a couple of years and refinance it with a lender, now I own that self storage facility. Me and my wife, nobody's involved, and that's the benefit of you know doing a debt deal versus a syndication. Not that I, I love my partners, I love my capital partners. <laughs> you know, I love paying dividends to them and seeing their reti- retirement, you know, can grow and them sharing in the tax benefits. But there is some nice fits to owning a property just right. So that's what he into all Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, I'm buying this 90,000 deal from Randy. They wire the 50 in. So I take the 60 and I use Profit First. If you guys Profit First, really amazing system. If you're any kind of business, transformed how we do our self-storage stuff. But I have an OPM, other people's money account. I take that 60,000 up. So any income that comes in, any principal interest is their separate accounts. Um, you know, the OPM, and I only use OPM for that property for that rehab. I never really got to the point where I had like multiple rehabs going all at once. Thank goodness. If I did, I would have had one OPM one, OPM two, or OPM, you know, Alabama, OPM right. Union, or whatever. Remember. Yeah, to keep them separate. Well, Alabama is just because I had a union. There beats Hendricks. Yeah. I'm familiar with some of those streets down there. But anyway, um, I would have that separate. In the, these are the lenders, and this is their money. And when I go to refinance this, if they done as a praise, that money has to come out of this account and give it back to the private lender. Right? I love that. Right. So just being a good steward of other people's money, I think that benefited from it, right? Oh, you do the right thing, begets. Future success. So before we wrap up here, I'd love for for you to, to help me the way that we yeah form some more some more. Jobs. I'm going to talk faster. <laughs> if we're to rank uh, the like the money and I'll find, I'm interpreting more it um it's 
or or uh, would you always in like the order in which you you personal I would invest if I could get a bank to it's a place I think I'll probably get some haters for this but I would take financing first hey privacy hate I know Dave Dave if you're listening I'm sorry I don't have any kidding you know what Dave I don't really like (laughs) but you know the the thing about it is right I'm going to pay my private lenders more than I would pay. Yeah, right. I'm going to pay them ten or twelve percent. A bank, even today's rate. I think you said you were at seven. Okay, a seven better than twelve, right? Sure. So, and you know, banks aren't going to do hundred percent deals. Maybe never. So, um, you know, it would be bank financing, and then it would probably be debt, which would be like debt private lenders. Yeah. All right. Or I would even call it like seller financing would be in the same bucket. Right, seller financing or private lending debt that would be the next one that I could refinance back into debt and bank debt later. And so then the next one would probably be my own personal. I will tell you, there is a school of thought there. And I'm, st- I'm in my old age, I'm starting to get to a point where uh, my mother in law, she bought several properties free and clear. And I told her at the time, I said, That's you know, they're what? not going to cash flow. Like, you know, you're, they'll cash flow very nicely, but the return on investment is highest. Well, I didn't realize we were a pandemic and rents were going to go through the reef. And so now she's getting like 12% on her investment because rents went through the reef and she bought them for very good prices. And so now she has these free and clear. All she does is taxes and insurance and then repairs. Like she's, Cash flow on two or three properties more than cash flow on 20 properties. I mean, that's mm, what insurance company call an act of God. Oh, I agree. I agree. Well, I've got the fact that she's leverage. She's got the biggest item in everybody's know that we're talking about in most real estate is the mortgage. I mean, well, it came from the act of God. It did. Yeah, it fair, did. Fair. Yes. Yeah, so, like, I'm happy for, so, you know. Uh, it's good for her. Good for her. Great. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things where oh, it's what do they say? It's better be lucky than good. Every time. Right. Every time. So, um, you know, but I think I've done very well on the same token. Um, I have mortgages on most of my properties, but I'm over I'm leveraged 50% because the values have gone through the reef and the cash flow has improved. So, you know, I would prefer to have 20 properties instead of three. I think leveraging that's allowed me to do long term, the amount of equity that I have in those properties when I sell them in another 10, 15, 20 years, you might will be far, far and away anything that she made in flow. But the cash flow right now is nice. So she's optimizing for us. Individual investor needs to just if you're buying cash, you're buying for cash flow today. If you're buying in, in debt today, then you're probably buying for, for cash flow and ROI in the future. Um, in the future, when you're investing with OPM, when you're, you're doing an equity play, then you're probably invest for the greater future, the longer term situation. Um, to be fair, 
Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things, one of the reasons why I started using private lenders and that we eventually went into the syndication equity deals is because I wanted to scale. I wanted more cash flow faster. And so I'm willing to do a lot of the legwork. I'm willing to do a lot of the sweat equity. And I'm willing to do it on a large scale. Um, and, in, and the only way that you can really do that, you can't do that necessarily with Right, unless you've got a really, really large investors, finance wise, that can find, like I said, they can write a check for three point two million dollars. If you've got a debt, be awesome. It's tough. So you got to go bank financing. I couldn't at least sell storage facilities. I'm probably probably one of them in my entire lifetime, and now six. And so I think there's a long term appreciation there that will benefit me. Investors, and I think a lot of wealth building over time, leveraging the bank finance. Does is that what you expected? Totally. Yeah, I think that was a really yeah. good. Exactly. Um, people want to get with you either to invest, to learn from you. What's the best way we get in touch with you? So you can email me Paul P A U L biggergarage.com. Bigger garage, as in your. Significant other has way too much stuff in the garage. Put your car in there. Biggergarage.com. Go in and car wall, and I'll be ready to go. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, hopefully one of these days. I don't know. So, we'll really appreciate you hopping on. Yeah, thanks a lot, Paul. It's yeah. awesome. That was great. There was a lot of negative there. Uh, Brooks at BRBonazindy.com. Uh, Randy at BRBonazindy.com if you need a property or any, any Naples market information. You need your help with big head off leash investment here to help. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Great episode.